praise the Lord for the great spirit and song uh, this morning. Please be finding this morning the book of Acts, chapter 18. Uh, for a few moments this morning, I will speak to you on this subject. Everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement. Acts chapter 18 and verse 1 this morning. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 18, beginning to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words. After these things, Paul departed from Athens, and he went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. This is what he said, Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, would there be reason why I should bear with you? But if it is a question of words and names and your law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. He came to Ephesus, and he left there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will... Return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the job that God only he can do. That's to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. We pray if there's one among us who has never been saved, that God, truly this would be the day that they turn and receive Jesus. Father, I pray for the one that might be here this morning uh, who needs a little dose of encouragement. I pray from your word today, how you ministered in the life of the Apostle Paul, these same venues that you work through, God, these same places, these same outlets, God, will receive your encouragement 
uh, today and in the days ahead. Father, I pray that if someone's just on top of the mountain today, they'll be reminded. You're always in one of three places. Coming out of a valley, going into one. Uh, Father, or you're in the dead middle of it. Father, I pray that uh, today that we'll hide these truths in our heart so that when we need encouragement, Father, we'll, we'll be quick to look to these sources. Have your way in every heart and life, and we'll give you thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Verse 1 uh, says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens, and he went to Corinth. Well, it was after the things of chapter 17. We saw last week how he boldly stood and preached in Athens. We saw the different responses. Verse 32 of chapter 17, some mocked. They made fun of the Apostle Paul. Uh, some procrastinated and put it off. But some believed they had personal relationships with these people. They invested their lives in them. Luke knew their name. Verse 34, uh, among them were Dionysius, the God, and a woman named Damaris. And so people were saved, but it's on to the next town. That's the way it was with the Apostle Paul. For Acts 9, God had called him to be allied into the Gentiles. But now we find him in Corinth. And, you know, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are different, difficult books to preach through because... They were letters. Remember, there's three things from every text. There's the original message to the original audience. There's the time-transcending truth. And then there's the application from that truth that never changes. And so the original audience at Corinth, they were, it was a difficult church. Uh, but it was because of they, were, they grew up in a difficult town. Corinth was just a very hard place to do ministry. It was wicked, and it was very immoral. Uh, really, it represents America. Uh, if you look at it, it was just so consumed by sexual things. Uh, in Corinth, there was the temple of Aphrodite. Uh, it was marked and known well for cult prostitution. Uh, and so whose who's church do you think people wanted to go to? The Apostle Paul's, uh, where he's calling people to turn from sin and to surrender their life to Jesus Christ? Or the temple of Aphrodite, where there are you know, a thousand different hookers that say, if you've got a dime, I've got the time. Where, I mean, where do you think? that the lost world wanted to go. And so that's where Paul was. That's where he was seeking to call people to turn from that sin and turn to Christ. And so that, that brought about challenge. And that challenge brought about the opportunity for discouragement. It was, it was a challenging place filled with difficult people. You know, it's amazing to me that even the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, even he needed to be uh, encouraged uh, because sometimes he faced discouragement. Uh, you know, I heard about a woman one time uh, that, that told her pastor, she says, well, I've, I've never had a discouraged bone in my body. And he says, well, you obviously have a lying tongue in your mouth uh, because everybody, I don't care who you are, everybody at some point has been discouraged. And if you haven't yet, uh, I hate to be, you know, Dan Downer uh, this morning, but you've got discouragement coming at some point. And when it happens, notice these four truths and these four ways that God uses uh, to encourage us as we seek to serve Him. Now, you need to know that. Paul was now the God's will. He didn't have unrepented sin in his life that we're aware of. He was exactly where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to do. Uh, and we see the Lord encouraging him. Four, ways God's, four things God uses to encourage us. First off, He uses His workers. He uses his workers, fellow workers in Christ. Look what the Bible says in verse number 2. So he's in Corinth now. He's beginning to serve. And the Bible says that he found. He just as he's going about throughout the city, 
as he's serving the Lord, he stumbles upon in the province of God a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. So he came to them. And so here Paul just finds two other like-minded uh, believers. And they've been displaced from Rome. They faced hard. They had to leave their home uh, because Claudius didn't want them there anymore. And so we don't see them again, you know, sitting around with their I'm mad at God t-shirts on, you know, or, or everything's upside down. They just moved to the next place in the province of God and kept serving the Lord. They knew that God had a plan for their lives. And if, if Corinth is where they were, then God had a purpose in that. And they didn't even know that God was going to use them to encourage the Apostle Paul. And so these were very like-minded believers, in part because they shared a connection. Look at verse 3 of, of your Bibles in, first, uh, in Acts chapter 18. So, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. Paul didn't want to be linked with the cults. And so he was going to work. He was going to help pay his way. And so he was a bivocational missionary. There he was working. Now that's not to say that full-time vocation... Listen, I'm all for vocational ministry. If it wasn't, uh, I'd, I'd be starving to death right now or I'd be a bivocational ministry. And I'm okay to be a bivocational minister. But I thank God for the opportunity to be full-time in vocational ministry. But the Apostle Paul didn't want at that time of the early church, he didn't want to be linked with the cults. He didn't want people to think he was only there trying to make a dime off of them. And so here he was working, uh, and the Lord partnered him with Priscilla and Aquila, and there they were making tents. But in the midst, don't miss this, of this wicked city where it was so tempting to feel like, God, I'm all alone. I mean, all these people are going down and doing ungodly, unheard of things at the temple of Aphrodite. And God, they think it's okay. They don't have a problem with it. This, this is just normal in their culture to live that way. And, and it was, Paul could have been, you know, God, I feel so alone. But here God in his providence sent two like-minded believers. And they were so mature. Look at verse number 26. Look ahead in chapter 18. They end up in the province of God after they depart with Paul, meeting a man by the name of Apollos who had great zeal for the Lord, but he hadn't been discipled fully. And so he was speaking some things. And the Bible says in verse 26, the apostles began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, and I, I can almost imagine, they're going, mm, 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 mm. Well, that's not exactly right. And so they took him aside and said, look, we know you've got a zeal for the Lord, um, but we want to help you. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They dialed him in. He had all the right heart, but he didn't have all of the knowledge. And so here, these, these were the kind of people uh, that they were. Paul thought a lot of them, 1 Corinthians chapter, I mean, at the end of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, as he's closing out 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19. Paul concludes the book of 1 Corinthians by saying, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscillus greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that's in their house. So they were helping plant a church out of their home. It's all of that to say, here was Paul in Corinth. He'd just come from a challenging time in Athens. And in the providence of God, he puts two like 
minded believers who themselves have gone through some hardship. They're not focused on that hardship, and God uses them to be a blessing in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I want to tell you, friend, there's, there is nothing like the encouragement received from growing all in, loves the Lord, loves His Word, fellow believers in Jesus Christ. I mean, there's just nothing like it. To be able to sit down, and you don't have to, well, but, when now, when now, but no, I mean, listen to what the Bible says. No, no, th- no that's not, you, you never have to try to argue about things. If the Bible says it, it's right. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. I, I mean, just to sit down, and there's not all that tension that you have with fence-riding church members of, how, or, you know, arguing. Listen, I've spent in ministry so many times you know, trying to argue with people. People want to get so close. To, now, Brother Chad, that's kind of a, a great... How close to the fire can I get without really being burned and being singed? Thank God there's people, man. Their attitude is, how close can I get to Jesus Christ and look less like me and more like Him? And the encouragement that you receive from people like that. My friends, sadly, they are few and far between, but praise God when they come along. Just what a refreshing, what a refreshing time it is to be in their presence. And so, listen, when, 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 you, when you begin to be discouraged and you think, man, I'm just all alone and, you know, there's nobody, look to those brothers and sisters in Christ who are like-minded. By like-minded, means 2-5. Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus, you also. And just receive that encouragement by just knowing, friend, you're not alone. You're not alone. And I know it's a hard day. But friend, listen, this isn't the only church that loves the Lord in, in the world. You realize that, right? There are other believers scattered all around this world that love Jesus Christ as much as we do. They believe His Word. They believe what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong. They believe He's coming back for His church. And they believe that God has left us here for no other reason than to fulfill the Great Commission in our days on this earth. So be encouraged by fellow workers. God sent encouragement through His workers. Number two, He also sends encouragement through His work. God encourages us through decisions and growth that we see in the lives of other people as we we serve Him. Look what the Bible says in verse number four. So He was of the same tent, of the same trade as these people. He was ministering, but He was also looking for opportunities to minister. That's why He was there. Verse four says, And He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Paul always went for the religious crowd first. That's who he went for. And, you know, and I encourage you, and, and you're, and, and as you seek to live on mission, to be an on-mission Christian, push, push past the denominational tag. Push by the, you know, member of this church. So many times you'll talk to people and say, you know, if you, are you sure if you died today, you go to heaven? Are you 100% sure if you died today, you go to heaven? If you're standing before God and He asks you, why should I let you in my kingdom? How would you... Respond to him. Your personal opinion. What do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a lifetime member of No Hope uh, Baptist Church. Uh, and, uh, no, I'm, I'm a member of Mount Hebron number 12. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're working on the 13th split right now. And uh, I've always been a member of there. My dad was a deacon. Uh, my mom ran the, the nursery. Uh, we were raised in church, just been in church. And you got, you got to push past all of those things when you're talking to people and say, but when, John 3, 7, have you, were you spiritually born again? Birth is a definite fact. January 5, 1973 was one of the greatest days 
in Waynesville, North Carolina. It's when I was born. And uh, that, was a, that was a joke. I mean, you're just, you people are no fun. We've got visitors today, church family. You embarrass me like my kids do sometimes. And we've got visitors. You can laugh at that. Anyway, my physical birth was a definite experience. I mean, and my mother could probably attest how she went through the valley of the shadow of death. And all the moms in here said, amen. She went through the valley of the shadow of death to bring me in. This. It was a definite experience. And so for 48 years, I've had an existence on this earth physically as a result of that fact. I was born. Listen, Jesus said, John 3, 7, you must be born again. Be, salvation is not a matter of joining the church, being religious. It's, it's, it's something, an operation that takes place through the Spirit of God as one responds to the gospel and chooses, makes a willed decision to repent and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. And at that very moment, friend, someone is born again. So it's, it's a fact. It's either happened or it hasn't happened. And so talk to people about that. So Paul always went for the religious crowd to try to tell them that religion will not save you. They need to have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And friend, 2,000 years, nothing has changed. People still have to have that same relationship. And so Paul's Paul's own mission, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks so people were getting saved. And that's always encouraging. When, when you see the Word of God making a difference in someone's life, when you're, when you're investing your time and your energy and your life, it's what God's led you to do with a certain group of people, and you see results taking place, it is so encouraging. And so as a result of that, he moves past now being bivocational to where he's going to be full-time for a season in this city. Look what the Bible says in verse 5. So when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is Christ. Literally in the Greek, when it says Paul was compelled in the Spirit, he became engrossed in witness. That is to say, he gave himself completely now. So apparently Silas and Timothy have come with financial help to help support the ministry there in Corinth. And so Paul's able now to set aside that time that he was using to work on tents, and now he's fully given himself to it. He says, man, there's something happening here. Even in the midst of all this sin, people are responding to the gospel, and they're, they're being saved. And so that encourages him to be even more devoted. And I've seen that in people's lives as they've sought to live on mission. If someone at the office just responds just a little bit, man, they'll come back and get so excited... And say, boy, they, they listened to me, Brother Chad. They were, they were so excited. They, they listened. And I'm, man, I'm all in now. I'm going to witness to everybody. And so God uses decisions. He uses what's happening in His work in the lives of people to encourage us. But friend, listen, it's not always just where God's working. Sometimes it's where the devil's working. That will encourage us to dig in and keep moving forward. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6, says, But when they opposed him, that is, some of the Jews that were there, some responded, some were saved. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, well, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now I go on to the Gentiles. Two Old Testament pictures were taking place here. One, he was shaking the memory out. When he was shaking his garments, he was saying, I'm not going to carry this with me. 
I'm not going to care. And so, church family, we, we talk about this a lot. Some of you, you know, roll your eyes when I talk about it. But I've seen it. it's one of the most debilitating things in the life of the church. And that's church hurt. People talk, about, oh, church hurt, church hurt. I just can't say it. I've been, I've been hurt. I, was, I talked to a guy one time. He's, every time I saw him, all he wanted to tell me about was when he got hurt at church. And I don't make light of what the hurt was. But friend, at some point in, in ministry, you've got to put your big boy britches on and your big girl britches on, and you've got to move past the hurt and keep serving the Lord. You've got to do that. Because if Satan can just keep you bound by all the negative things, then you'll never do anything. And so listen, you need to understand this. Paul wasn't being a jerk when he shook his garments. You know, and he's like, well, I'm going to make a big scene that this is all about me. No, that's why Paul could do it. Don't miss this. It wasn't all about him. See, Paul realized that they weren't rejecting his message. They were rejecting Christ's message. And I've seen people stomp their little feet and try to put on a show like they're shaking the dust off of the church. Listen, that is a self-look-at-me show. That's not what Paul was doing. He said, look, I'm not going to let this negativity hold me down. And he says, in result, he says, I've done my part. I've given you the gospel. He said, the blood's on your heads now, not on my hands. Well, what's the reflexive truth of that? Listen to me this morning, friend. When you don't faithfully share the gospel with those that God is leading you and opening the door to share the gospel with, and they die and go to hell. They're responsible. I want to tell you something. The Bible says you've got blood on your hands because you didn't tell them how to be saved. You know, I'm always amazed, you know. You start talking about, you know, marriages between one man and one woman, not between two men and two women. Boy, the church, they'll get excited. And, Amen, Brother Chad. Woo, yes, sir. But when we get to truths about that, about the judgment seat of Christ, man, it's quiet. It's quiet. My friend, I'm telling you, every one of us that have been saved, we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll give an account for what we've done with every opportunity. When God's given you an opportunity, He's led you to witness to people, but you were too busy, too proud, or too scared. Whatever the excuse, it doesn't matter. Their blood, if they die and go to hell, imparts on your hands because you didn't tell them. If people aren't discipled, friend, it's on us. That's why, listen, ministry serious business. If people want to treat the church like it's a country club or just, you know, it's deer camp or a garden club, it's not. What we're doing, friend, is the most important thing in the world we can give ourselves to. Literally, what we do determines whether people spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. It's serious business. It's not a joke. You know, we, we won't we won't make so loud. Well, I mean, it's just... It's the most important mission that we can be a part of. And Paul understood that. And so he wasn't going to... He knew that God, if the Jews were upset... Don't notice this. If the crowd that had the wrong doctrinals were upset, God was at work somewhere. And so he buckled down. He says, I'm going to keep on. He says, if you won't receive it, I'm going on to the Gentiles. Verse number 6. So opposition motivated him to go on. He shook off the rejection and he didn't let it define him or own him. And you may be here this morning, I want you to listen to me. And you've experienced some hardship in ministry somewhere. 
And you're still allowing that, the, the devil to use that to pull you down and to keep you from serving because you got your feelings hurt. Listen, I love Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, get over it. Let it go. Get over it. Quit digging it up and trying to play with it. Every time you think you've got somebody that can give you just a little bit of sympathy, if that's the case, ministry's not about us. It's about the Lord. And so just be His ambassador and know that I'm just telling you, if you serve in a local church, people are going to drive you absolutely nuts all the time. Because most people are nuts. It's just going to happen. And you've just got to determine it doesn't matter what anybody says to me, what anybody does to me, I'm going on in Jesus. And so that's what Paul did. He, he received encouragement through the work where God was at work, but also where the devil was at work. Verse 7 says, And so he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. I mean, the hand of God. They said, we don't want you in the synagogue anymore. And the guy that lived next door says, well, hey, you can come meet over here. How about that? He says, you can just, listen, when they're walking out of the synagogue, you can get them that way. So God was at work. Friend, listen, God's always going to have the last word. He's bigger than any problem that we face. And he has a plan and he has a solution. And so as a result of that, look at all the different people that got saved. They kicked him out of the synagogue, verse 8 says, but then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, he got saved. What if Paul would have thrown his hands up and says, well, I'm just quitting. Stupid people, Corinth. I'm never going back. He didn't do that. He wanted people to be saved. And so he found encouragement. He says, God's at work. God says, hey, work in the house next door to the synagogue. And he ended up leading the Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, to be saved. He believed on the Lord. Continue to look at verse 8. With all, not just him, but his whole household got saved. Everybody. It's like the jailer in Acts 16. The whole family got saved. And many of the Corinthians looked around and saw what was happening. They heard the Word of God. They believed the Word of God. And as a result of that, because they got saved, they were baptized to demonstrate what Jesus had done in their heart. But what if Paul would have had a big fat pity party and quit? Nothing would have happened. But he received encouragement from the Lord, and he went on. He went on. And so, but, but I won't stay with this, right? That's what, I don't have much time, about, but just be careful. Be careful that you don't flip who's at work. Sometimes people who are unbiblical, unqualified, backslid, or out of God's will, they'll face hardship that the Lord's trying to use to close a door where they don't need to serve anymore, and they'll try to blame it on the devil. I've seen it happen. God's trying to get unbiblical leaders out of a church or out of a ministry because what they're doing and how they're doing it is contrary to His will. And He'll be at work trying to do that. But they've tried to flip it and say, well, the devil's reared his ugly head again. And it wasn't the devil's fault. It's the Lord that's doing it. So be discerning and be very, very careful about who you label for the hardship that's coming against you in your life. But receive encouragement from the Lord's work. Third, also receive encouragement from his word. Paul undoubtedly still facing some discouragement. He's facing opposition, difficulty, and hardship. 
And so look what happens in verse number 9. Ministry for the day is over. It's been a long day, whatever the day that it was. Verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision and said, Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I'm with you. He says, And no one will attack you, for I have many people in this city. How encouraging. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to him and says, Now, Paul, listen to me. You need to be honest. You're a little afraid right now. Because now listen, Paul had some scars, friend. He had a lot of scars. 2 Corinthians 11, he lists some of the hardships and challenges that he went through. And so certainly he realizes, oh no, it's fixing to happen again. I've, actually, I've just healed. How many concussions can I get, Lord, before I can't even remember my name? And so the devil was coming and I'm sure, boy, they're going to get you, Paul. They're going to get you. Life was so easy prior to Acts 9. You could, st- you could be the one handing out the weapons, Paul. Why are you doing this? But the Lord came to him and says, do not be afraid. I wonder if Paul thought about that when he wrote 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God's not gives us spear, but of love, power, and sound mind. So we don't have that in us. There's nothing to be afraid of, Paul. Whatever happens to you, I'm either going to send it or I'm going to allow it. One of the two things. He says, it's going to be my perfect will or my permissive will. He says, so do not be afraid. But secondly, he says, speak. Well, what was the message of the Corinthian people to him, and especially the Jews in the synagogue? Shut up. We don't want to hear what you've got to say. We don't want to hear about Jesus. If you, if you talk about the resurrection one more time, we're going to throw up. We're sick of hearing about all that. And Jesus says, listen, I didn't send you there to be a crowd pleaser. I sent you there to speak truth so speak faith comes by hearing hearing by the word he says they need to hear the word he says do not keep silent that's what they want notice this he says for i'm with you he says everybody else in the town may turn their back on you paul verse 10 he says but i'm with you i'm with you who wrote the book of hebrews we don't really know if it was this same guy he says i I'm I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always going to be there with you. And so one encouragement for nothing's changed in 2,000 years. And you may be be here, I believe that's one of the things that leads people to a place of, of just doubt and such discouragement is they feel that they're all alone in life. There's no one that understands what they're going through. And listen, there's nobody in this room that may understand what you're personally going through today, but I want you to know something, friend. You've got a Savior in heaven that knows. He knows. He was tempted in all points. He walked this earth for 33 and a half years in sandaled feet. He knows the pain. He knows the heartache. He knows the rejection. But friend, listen, He sees into your life and He knows. And you're not alone. If you've been saved, you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You're not alone. He says, I'm I'm with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you. Now, that was for that city. Don't claim that all the time. Say, well, right there, Apostle Paul could claim, you know, no one's going to attack you. Well, the next town that he goes to, that he gets hit in the side of the head with a hoe handle, did God break his word? No, that was in Corinth he wasn't. And so it was a word of encouragement for that moment. No one's going to attack you, at least here. He says, for I have many people in this city. It's a reminder, friend, of the workers of, of the other workers of God. And like 
like-minded support. Like-minded support. You know, Elijah needed to hear that. We'll be there in a few weeks on Wednesday night. Remember, Jezebel got after him. Great victory, 1 Kings 18 at Mount Carmel. Now Jezebel's after him. And in 1 Kings 19, Elijah's entered a time of depression, despair, heartache. And I love it. God didn't chew him out. He came to him in a still, small voice and began to speak to him. And Elijah, you know, he had his little pity party. We all have it. Don't we, don't we have them sometime? He had his little pity party, 1 Kings 19, verse 14. He said, well, God, I and I alone, I'm the only one that remains. God listened to him. He didn't rebuke him. But there in the latter part of uh, verse 18, he says, I want to remind you, uh, Elijah, um, I've got 7,000 besides you that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone. So get out, get to work, find Elisha. Ministry continues. Ministry continues. Friend, this, this is a hard day to serve the Lord. You know, if you look at what the church used to be and what the church is today, and I don't mean Greenwood. I mean, if you just look at what the church was 30 years ago to what it is today, it's enough just to drop the blinds and stay in bed every day. If you look at what America's come to just over the past 30 years, it's enough just to roll over and say, I'm not getting out until Jesus comes back. So I know... Everything isn't what it used to be. The outlook's not great. If you look at the trajectory our country's on, friend, I want you to listen to me. The uplook's great. Outlook's bad, but the uplook's good. Jesus is coming back. He's still on his throne. And thank God for other like-minded believers who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. We're not alone. So be encouraged by God's Word. He loves us. He has a plan for us. He'll never leave us, and He'll never forsake us. And either by grave or air, friend, we're going to stand in His presence one day. So keep moving on. The fourth thing, and I close today, that thank God He encourages us with, not only His workers, not only His work, not only His Word, but also His will. God had a specific, purposed plan for Paul's life. Acts 9, he laid that out. Ananias had the privilege to go and share that with him. This is what God wants for you. And God continued to refine that and, and to move that along. But Paul sensed God's leading every day, and it encouraged him on to faithfulness. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says he continued, after he received that word from the Lord, he continued there for a year and six months, 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. And this evidently is a place where people didn't like him. He had a lot of opposition. But he knew it was God's will for him to be there. Don't miss that. And so he did it despite all the competing things that have, could have caused him to quit. Do you see that? People didn't want the message. They didn't want to hear the message. But God called him to share the message. It was God's will, and it motivated him on to faithfulness to push discouragement aside and keep moving forward. Uh, verse number 18. So Paul still remained a, a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with them. And so he, he moves on to the next place. Verse number 21 says, But... He took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing, 
And so he sailed, he sailed from Ephesus. So he was in Ephesus for, for a little while, and then he moved. Verse 22, and when God says, land here. So when he landed in Caesarea and went up and greeted the churches, didn't stay there long. It was God's will for him to go down to Antioch. Look at your Bibles, verse 22. So he went down to Antioch. And after he'd spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order to strengthen all the disciples. What is it that guided all of these decisions? Look back at verse number 21. He says, But he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you. What's it say? God willing. God willing. Whatever the Lord's will for Paul's life was, it encouraged him on to faithfulness. Despite how he felt, what he perceived, how people were responding, he didn't let those things move him to a place of complacency, apathy, indifference, and unfaithfulness. Paul kept moving forward in what God had called him to do. Don't miss this, because it was God's will for his life to do it. It's not an easy day for ministry. It's not an easy day for real Great Commission uh, ministry. Because the Apostle Paul would tell Timothy there'll be a day when men and women will not endure sound doctrine and they'll remove themselves from places where there is sound doctrine being taught and preached to go to places where there's, there's mythos, fables, that are being preached and taught. And that, can be, that can be challenging. That can be very discouraging. But we're to push all those things aside. We don't, we don't worry about all that. Not what, what's popular, what people are doing. God has called the church to be faithful. You're to be my witnesses, Acts 1-8. You're to reach, teach, and encourage, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And friend, that's what we got to do. Why? Because that's what God told us to do. So it's not that, well, I just don't, I just don't feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's just, it's a hard, it, it's, it doesn't matter what kind of day it is. Did God say for the church to live on mission, yes or no? then that's his will, and that's what we got to keep on doing. So you push aside all of that discouragement, and you just keep moving forward in ministry in God's will, because that's what he's called us to do. So I want to encourage you today, friend. God had a plan for Paul's life. And, and Paul got in on that. I want you to look at me. Everybody look at me. God's got a plan for your life. If you've never been saved... It's for you to be saved. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now, behold, now's accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. You need to be saved. That's what, that's what Christmas is all about. A baby was born so that a man could die. A baby was born so that a man could die for you. God so loved you that He sent His only begotten Son that if you'd believe in him, that is, trust him to be Lord of your life, friend, you can have everlasting life. If you're not wholly serving God today as a child of God, God's will for him, God's plan for you is to stop serving yourself and start serving him. Let him guide the small details of your life. And friend, listen, he'll do things in his eyes. That are, listen, you may not start a church you may not go on three different missionary trips all throughout Asia, but I promise you, in God's eyes, what He does through your surrendered life, it's just as important and just as valued as all that He did through the Apostle Paul. There's no difference. But you've got to humble yourself to receive that. Push past the discouragement today and receive God's will and God's best for your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. 
If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd spend eternity in heaven? Has there ever been a moment, truly, where you've repented? That's to turn from your sin, to confess it, to concur, and to turn from. Has there ever been a moment where you've done that? And you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you haven't, I invite you to do that right now. He loves you. doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've drifted in life, friend. He'll forgive you. And he will save you if you'll only choose to turn and receive him to be Lord of your life. Do it right now. Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith. Now, don't you listen to me. The words that you say mean nothing if they don't truly come from a heart that wants to repent and be saved. They mean nothing. But when they really do represent a broken and contrite heart that wants Jesus to be Lord of it, friend, they'll lead you to life and life more abundantly. Tell him so right now, just like this. Pray from your heart. God, forgive me, a sinner. I want to turn from all the sin that's in my life today. I believe Jesus was born so that he might die. And die he did. I believe he rose him from the grave by the power of God. I believe that same power can bring new life to me. And it's the life I want. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life as I turn from sin and turn to you. Be Lord of me. Save me from my sins. That's my prayer today. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you prayed that minute with all your heart, I'm going to invite you in just a moment when we stand our feet to step out into one of these aisles and to make, make your way right down to where I'm going to be standing. Say, I prayed that prayer today. What, what's next? Because I want to share with you what's next. God, God's got a plan for your life. There's some things that you're going to have to do in order for him to accomplish it. Now, I want to share with you what that is. Are you discouraged today? Has the way been hard? Has Satan been tempting you to quit, just to hold up, and like Elijah, to have a pity party for yourself? It happens. But would you not find encouragement today through these same sources? And leave this, listen, the problem's not going to go away, but how you respond to it and the help that you're going to have, that's going to, that's going to change. Maybe your prayer decision needs to be this today. Lord, I'm, I've been going through a hard time. I've just things I'm experiencing personally, just my observations in this world. Lord, I've been so discouraged. But God, as you encouraged Paul, I want to experience that same encouragement. Thank you for other like-minded believers here at this church, in my neighborhood, in my family. Lord, thank you for their encouragement to me. God, thank you that you're still touching and saving lives. Thank you for the work you're doing in little children's lives in Awana. Thank you for our young people that are coming on Wednesday nights and how your word's being sown into their lives. Thank you for work that's taking place in our connection classes. Thank you for all these that have come this morning, God, to hear your word. God, thank you for those that are going to be back tonight to study your word. God, you're at work. You're at work. People are being saved. People are being discipled. I praise your name for that. Father, thank you for your precious word that I can read every day. Lord, I'll not hear you in the vision, but I can open the pages of this blessed book. God, you speak to my soul. Thank you for the encouragement through your word. God, thank you that you've got a will for my life, for my family, and for this church. And one day, God, you're going to see us home. And so because of all those things, God, I commit today, I'm going to serve you with more abandon and more zeal than I ever have. 
That's my prayer today. Father, speak to your children today. It is a hard day. But greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And I pray in these days, God, you'll see faithfulness defining our lives. It'll be an act of worship. The greatest thing that we can do for you is obey you. And I pray that we'll be the Great Commission Christians despite the circumstances that you've called us to be in these days. Speak to each heart, Lord. Whatever you desire to accomplish individually, I pray it'll be done as we respond to your will. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed.